Sunday, um, Paul asked the question in Romans chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 3 there. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? And here he's, of course, talking about the Jews, and he's talking about how God has been so faithful to them to give them his word, the oracles of God, circumcision, the covenant, the promises, all the home field advantages of what it means to be the people of God, but yet they have proven um, as, a, as, a, as a whole unfaithful. And Paul asked the question here in Romans 3, does their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Um, and we might ask the same question for us, does our faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? And Paul says here unequivocally in verse 4, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that your words may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Now, that's so Paul quotes scripture to say God is never untruthful. He is never a liar. If he says he's going to accomplish his purpose, he is. Now, Paul's going to return to this later in Romans 9 and give a little more backdrop, a little more detail about why we can indeed trust the faithfulness of God in the lives of of his people and he returns to this in Romans 9 and this is where we have been so let me sketch out the argument here in terms of how Paul lays it out so Paul in Romans 9 1 through 5 essentially says what he says um, here in Romans 3 the the Israelites have been blessed with with the covenantal blessings from God they are his people and from them come the patriarchs, the Messiah, the Christ, the whole thing. Now, Paul anticipates an argument at this point. And the argument is, well, Paul, if that's true, then that means the word of God must have failed. And Paul, in verses 6 through 13 in Romans 9, says, No, the word of God has not failed, because the way that God is assimilating his people is not ethnically, but it's spiritually. It's by virtue of the fact that it's not people who were born of physical descent who are ultimately God's people. It's the people of faith. And God pours out his grace, not by ethnic lines, but through the Son, Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. And he uses the analogy of Abraham and Sarah. Sarah miraculously conceived. Paul says that's like salvation. Salvation is supernatural. He also talks about Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, meaning Jacob I chose, Esau I haven't chose. And his point there is to show that God, God has an ultimate purpose in his unconditional election, that there was nothing in Jacob or Esau that merited favor from God. Both were wicked, evil men. Um, it's just that God rescued and saved Jacob by um, the choice of his, of his sovereign will and sheer grace. Well, Paul then trans, um, follows the argument, verses 14 through 18, he anticipates the response, right? He anticipates people saying, well, then, Paul, um, how is that fair, right? Um, you know, is, is, that, is, that, is there injustice on God's part? And Paul says, no, because I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, God says, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And that the ultimate act of fairness is that God would condemn everyone. That, that none would come to know him. But in fact, that's not true. What we know to be true is that um, God, by his sovereign grace, 
miraculously, supernaturally save some from the host of humanity that all deserve to die anyway. Okay, so that's, that's where the argument flows up to. Now we come to verse 19 through 23. And Paul is going to entertain <clears throat> one final objection to this argument, which is, well, if that's the case, Paul, then how does God hold us responsible for our sin if it's ultimately under his sovereign control anyway? And here is Paul's response. Will you say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. All right, again, the objection is, then how can God still hold us responsible for our sin? And if he is sovereignly in control. Now, it's important here to note that many people have attempted to answer that question um, sort of outside the biblical context meaning they've used different philosophies or different um, means of human logic to try to explain how this works. And Paul doesn't resort to any of those things, right? Paul says, listen, that's an inappropriate question for God. He says, who, O man, are you to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and one for dishonorable use? In other words, God is sovereign. He always does what is best. And there are certain things that are left to the mystery of God, meaning they're under his divine providence. So sometimes um, we try to insert an answer that Paul doesn't give. In other words, let's be honest, on some level, it's not emotionally satisfying to us what Paul says here. He ultimately says, you are you and God is God. Trust him, close your lips, and be thankful for your own grace and salvation. We, we wish he would say something else, maybe. In fact, some philosophers have adopted a position called middle knowledge, which just basically says that, that what God does here, he does sovereignly choose, yet... He does it in accordance with how he knows we will respond in a certain situation. So he can look down the corridors of time and he can anticipate um, how we will respond if we are placed in this and that situation. And that's how God uh, makes his sovereign choice clear. Now, the problem with that is that it expressly goes against this idea of what Paul says in Romans 9, verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion but on God who has mercy. And we get into trouble, I think, when we try to go beyond Scripture to give answers that Scripture either doesn't answer or we don't like the answer. And that is the, very much the case in Romans 9 because Paul ends up saying, listen, I created all of humanity and all of humanity fell before me under my just wrath. And I am glorified when I redeem some of that humanity and they see my grace. But I'm also glorified as I pour out wrath on sinners who deserve that wrath 
and I'm glorified in both ways. My whole character and attributes are, are glorified and magnified and held up. And so what is Paul's answer here? It's God's glory. God does everything for his own glory. God does everything um, to bring himself honor and beauty uh, and majesty because he's the most awesome thing in the universe. And so those who've received um, vessel as vessels of grace, what are we to do? Well, we're to proclaim this good news. Paul's going to make that clear in Romans 10. He says, leave God's sovereign election up to him. Your job is to share the gospel, leave the results to God, give him praise for his mercy, and give him thanks that he will ultimately right every wrong through his wrath and justice one day when he returns, when Jesus returns. So that's Paul's basic response. And, and the whole point of this is we're supposed to read Romans 9 and stand back and say, whoa, I am really small. God is really big. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to not degenerate into speculative philosophy, but I am going to accept the word of God on face value. So that when Paul says in Romans 3, God, um, his faithfulness is not a function of our faithlessness. And in Romans 9, he tells us how that works. We can trust it. And of course, we can apply this to every area of our life, right? That ultimately, God is working all things for our glory and our good. Our job is to simply Grace of God has to be sufficient. this time, thanks for your word. Thanks for the clarity it brings. Help us to trust you when we might desire other answers or more information. Lord, we are play. You are the part. We trust that you know what is best and right. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend.